Jijinoga. Let's start with the Nokar Mantra. Namo Arihantanam, Namo Siddhanam, Namo Ayariyanam, Namo Uvajayanam, Namo Luesavasamnam, Eso Panchanamokaro, Sava Pavo Panasano, Mangalancha Salvesim, Paramam Have Mangalam. The scientifically proven way to cement information into your brain is to review it, and to review it weeks after you learned it. A lot of people don't know that, and it's important that we teach our kids that because they have to study. If you learn something in August and you study for the test in December, that's too late. So every week you have to review what you learned about two to three weeks ago, and that will cement it in your brain. And so we're going to go over what we learned this semester. It's a little late, like I said, but this is the time we have. Um, so this review class has several uh, advantages. That is, it cements your learning, as we talked about. Um, we can discuss how it changed our life because we try to incorporate everything we talk about into changes in our life. So I'd like to discuss that. Uh, we have a chance to talk about questions that we thought of in the meantime. Like if we had a question about something three classes ago, we can talk about it now and we can catch up on any classes that we miss. Okay, so the first thing we did this semester is we talked about leshes and precluded thoughts. And this is very important. A precluded thought is something that you did not think of, an answer to a question that had didn't even enter your brain. Um, so, a lot of times that's the benefit of asking other people for advice because sometimes we can think about a decision and we can think long and hard and somebody else comes in and says, oh, why didn't you try this and this? And you say, oh, I didn't think of that. Well, why didn't we think of that? The answer is lesha. That is, your lesha determines the quality of thoughts fed to your soul by your brain. So um, we talked about the example of the six men and coming upon the mango tree. And we decided that wasn't a good example because the twist at the end of the story is you're supposed to believe that they ignored the mangoes on the ground in favor of the person. And only the last person decided to pick the mangoes up off the ground. That's not very realistic. Or if you want to avoid that part of the story, you have to have them decide to wait for the mangoes to fall from the tree. That's not very realistic. So do we have a better example than the six men and the mango story for to talk about Lesha? I think Mihir at that time mentioned something about the insects. When right. You see the insect, oh, that's a great yeah. call. Then can you leave him alone or can you grab and drop it? Some people think differently. Some people harm. Right. So that was another more relevant example that know. is a great example i love that example so if there's an insect in your house well how do you get rid of it some people say oh i'm going to kill it some people say oh i'm going to humanely kill it some people say oh i'm going to pick it up and put it outside and i'll pick it up with my dust buster and put it outside and some people say oh i'll trap it and then i'll use a piece of paper and then i'll slide it to not harm cause harm to the animal so that's great i love that there are six leshas we call, they have names, but everybody knows them as black, blue, gray, 
red, yellow, white. That's going from worst to best. Um, and that's Lesha. So it's very important to understand Lesha and precluded thoughts. Does anybody not understand it? And it's okay if you don't understand it. It's Lesha determines a precluded thought is something you didn't even think about. Mm -hmm. So if I ask you, what's your favorite sci-fi movie? And you go through in your head and you think and you say, and you give me an answer. Hey, come on in. And you give me an answer and you say, okay, my favorite sci-fi movie is X. And then I say, well, what about Y? And you say, oh, no, that's my favorite sci-fi movie. I had no idea. I didn't even think about that. That's what a precluded thought is. And it's very important to understand that because then you'll start to understand when people talk about there is no such thing as free will. Then you'll start to understand that argument if you understand what a precluded thought is. And the basis of that is how do you make a meaningful choice if you weren't even aware of all the options, if you're aware of just 1% of the options that you have available to you, there's no way to consider that choice that you made meaningful. So you'll start to understand these arguments against free will. So that's Lesha and precluded thoughts. Next, we talked about resolving the dichotomies of Jainism. That is, there's lots of things that are seemingly opposite in Jainism, and they're both true at the same time. And we understand that two opposite things can be true because it depends on your frame of reference. And our frame of reference in Jainism is where we are on the spiritual path. So for my children, I tell them, do as much punya as you can. And that's true, and that's good advice. If you're very far along the spiritual path, I'll say, do as much nothing as you can. Don't do pop and do punya. And that's true, even though it's opposite of what I tell my children, because that person is at a different point on the spiritual path. So two opposing things can be true. So we talked about how can you have, I'll give you an easy one. How can you have, how can you say we are nonviolent? We want to practice as much nonviolence as possible. And we say plants are a soul. So why do we kill and eat plants? Does anybody know? So we kill and eat plants because they suffer less than animals. They have less senses than animals and they don't do as much suffering. So if we have to do something to live, we have to eat to live, we might as well reduce the suffering that we, that we give. Okay, another dichotomy is, well, how do you have, we, we say we should have compassion toward people. But isn't that compassion, compassion an attachment? We say not to be attached, right? So how do we have compassion? How do we love somebody to have compassion for them without being attached to them? Isn't it, aren't these opposing views? And it's very true. I never thought about it. You know, if hey, come on in. Compassionate towards somebody or towards a situation that there is a lot of attachment. Right. So the answer is not to be attached to the outcome. 
Um, see somebody that's suffering and know that you can do something about it and help somebody that's suffering. But don't be attached to the outcome or don't be attached to where my money is going or following up with how it's spent or something like that. Another dichotomy we talked about was, well, we say we should always tell the truth, right? But we also say, hey, we're a religion of nonviolence, and that includes verbal and emotional violence, right? But what if telling the truth results in violence, okay? These two things seem to be opposite, right, in certain scenarios. So how do we resolve that dichotomy? We resolve that dichotomy by understanding that the violence is more important than the truth. That's why our vow of nonviolence is number one and our vow of number truth, truth is number three. Okay? So if telling the truth would cause violence, we do not cause violence. Okay? And we are silent. So in that way, there's a number of other dichotomies we resolved in Jainism, including, well, how do we say that Jainism is the truth, but we say practice anikantva, right? Multiplicity of viewpoints. How can Jainism be the truth if a lot of things can be true? We talked about, well, we, we say to perform charity, but it makes us feel good when we perform charity. So are we doing it for the wrong reasons? We talked about how can somebody have kevalnyan and how can we have free will at the same time. So in that class, we talked about resolving those dichotomies. Thanks to everybody just joining us. We're doing our review. Um, we talked about lesha and precluded thoughts, that is thoughts that are not fed to you by your brain and how to increase the quality of thoughts fed to you by your brain. And we talked about resolving some of the dichotomies of Jainism, the seemingly opposite things that are both true at the same time. Uh, next, we talked about spiritual hygiene. We know quite a bit about physical hygiene. We know about taking a shower, brushing our teeth, doing laundry. We know about the germ theory. We know about all of that stuff. We know relatively little about mental hygiene. Um, nobody teaches us how to cope with stress, what positive self-talk is, what your self-image is. Nobody t teaches us how to relax. Nobody teaches us how to concentrate. I would like a class in all of these things. <laughs> Nobody teaches us how to identify the mental state we're in and get out of that state and move to a negative one. And nobody teaches us how to deal with anger. So if we know quite a bit about physical hygiene and mental hygiene is still in, is still in its infancy, then spiritual hygiene is non-existent. Nobody has taught us anything about spiritual hygiene. So in that class, we talked about spiritual hygiene and we developed tools that we can use for spiritual hygiene and we talked about building a regimen for those tools that is uh may i have one i'm sorry i didn't keep one for myself thank you oh sorry okay so we talked about tools we can put in our toolbox for our spiritual hygiene those there are many tools uh they're prayer Pratikaman, fasting, or just eating less, meditation, <laughs> mindfulness, puja, which is a physical manifestation of prayer. We talked about opening the book, performing charity, fighting your enemies, anger, ego, deceit, and greed. 
Um, the five codes of conduct, the five samitis, the five vows, these are all in the book. The 12 bhavanas, the 35 qualities, all in the book. Curtailing your own desire, going through physical hardship, making sure you're modest. We talked about volunteering in service, going Jane vegan, not smoking or drinking, believing your soul, getting rid of attachments, and this one that was suggested to us by Bob and I think, Tech Free Day. Okay, so these are the tools in our toolbox, and we can perform them daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly. And we said, hey, I'm going to take tools from our toolbox and write them down and perform this daily. For example, prayer is a great one to do daily, so you can write it down there. Weekly on some particular day of each week, monthly on a certain date of each month, and yearly. Um, so we're going to develop a regimen for spiritual hygiene because just like physical hygiene, imagine this said like brush teeth, take a shower, do laundry, do stuff. So daily would be brush teeth, weekly or maybe monthly would be do laundry or, you know, and maybe exercise would be weekly or maybe three times a week or something like that. So that's what a physical hygiene regimen, right? So maybe we could also make a mental one. I didn't think about that, but maybe we could make a mental hygiene regimen. And this is our spiritual hygiene regimen. So we take tools out of the toolbox and perform them daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly. Okay. Questions or comments about that? Those were the first three classes we did this semester. And this is amazing. Having something black and white. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it helps when you write it down. Exactly. Like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. Religion is this thing that appears to be in this book, which I never opened, right? <laughs> so, yeah, let's write it down what we're supposed to be doing. And in fact, in the book, it is written down what you're supposed to be doing. That's what these uh, codes of conduct are. Mm. Like, people, they, like... They understand like, oh, just tell me what I need to do. I believe in Jainism. Tell me what I need to do. That's it. That are the, those are these five codes of conduct. That will tell you what you need to do. Come on in. We're doing review. We talked about our first three classes. That was Lesha, resolving the dichotomies of Jainism. And then we just talked about our spiritual hygiene class. So questions or comments about our first three for this semester? Okay, next we talked about how Jainism can help you with small problems. Uh, no, we did not. Sorry. Next was Jain art. Ah, we talked about the purpose of art. Does anybody remember what the purpose of art is? The purpose of art is to ease the suffering of other people. And that can be accomplished in many different ways. First is to give an expression that other people can express about how they're feeling, a certain kind of anger or pain or something. When you tell other people how to say it, they're eased of their burden. The second way is to create a world that people can escape into, like a good book, a fantasy book or a science fiction book. Uh, another way to ease people's suffering is to Give them something to think about, something fascinating to look at, or something fascinating to listen to, and you give some, um, give them to think something to think about. Uh, so there's lots of different ways that art helps ease our suffering. That's why art is very varied, right? And so we talked about Jane art, and we talked about well, what these 
uh, sorry, what these colors mean and what this swastika means and this open hand, of course. <clears throat> this is the Jain universe. Um, we live right here. In, no, sorry, right here in this plane. I'm not sure why these are not divided up right there. Um, these are the layers of the levels of hell. These are the levels of heaven. The open hand means nonviolence. The swastika means there are four types of beings, human beings, heavenly beings, hellish beings, and animals. <clears throat> and only one points up here to moksha because you can only get to moksha from the human form. Uh, these are the three jewels, Samyak, Nyan, Darshan, Charitra. And this is moksha where we're all trying to go. All of our souls are trying to go to moksha. And so we talked about... Uh, Different art. Uh, not many people knew that we have the Jain, a Jain flag, but this is our Jain flag. The colors represent different things, and you'll see the swastika imagery again. We talked about the statues that Jains developed. We don't. We like our statues to be all the same because bodies are not important. It's the soul inside that's important. So it's very hard to distinguish one statue from another. They all look like this. They're all alike, and that helps historians know which statues are Jain and which statues are Hindu statues because. Jain statues look all alike. They all look like this. And it's just whether the posture is seated or standing. This is one of our most famous statues. What was his name? Started with a B. Bubbly, that's right, that's right. Uh, just to give you a sense of scale, this is a person in front of this statue, so it's like a huge one. <laughs> yeah, this person just comes up to his feet. Um, so a lot of Jain stuff is all stonework. That's all that survived, obviously. Uh, but there is some painting work and cloth work that survived. This is the Samosaran, where the uh, Tirtankars would preach. We have many uh, examples of that. Another one. This is a depiction of the 14 dreams of Queen Trishla. And we have some bas-relief work, another depiction of the 14 dreams. We talked about the six men and the mangoes. This is our depiction of Lesha. We talked about black, gray, blue, red, yellow, white. Sadhvi, and a little abstract art. And then, of course, we talked about uh, we wanted to do something for the Jane Center, so maybe we'll get an update after this of our art project. The next class, we talked about how Jainism can help us with small problems. Um, these big catastrophic events, such as um, uh, somebody dying, um, somebody, a hurricane or emergency like that, <laughs> Uh, it's important that we can rely on Jainism to get us through that, but your life is not composed of big catastrophic events. Your life is composed of small problems you work through every day. So we talked about how Jainism can help us with those day-to-day -day problems. Um, choosing healthy foods, road rage, sitting in traffic, how to exercise. We talked about how Jainism can help us with procrastinating and productivity. Being present for our family. Uh, I talked about getting spam calls and why I love getting spam calls now. Uh, making time for important things, trying to relax. And um, we talked about your own small problems and we went through um, how Jainism could help you with your own small problems. 
questions or comments on that? Does anybody have any small problems they wanted to bring up to the group? Does anybody have any questions about art and Jane art? Does anybody not believe that the purpose of art is to ease other suffering, that the art is made for art's sake and no, it doesn't need a purpose? The purpose of art is to just be art. Some people believe that. Could art be considered like longevity? How so? Like a statue, right? It doesn't, doesn't, it lasts for a very long period of time, right? So you're passing that down from one thing to another, right? So it's longevity of our religion, you know? Although some people may think about it as art or even a painting for that matter, right? Certainly statues and paintings are art, but I feel like you're talking about something else, a different quality of that, that is longevity. And that makes it art. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, there's a lot of conversation about like how you keep religions going for a longer period of time, right? Or how it gets cycled through, right? And you think about Jainism and the world in general, right? Like we're a very small, very, very small percentage of the world, right? Like, how do you keep that uh, passed on from generation to generation? Or for years, right? Hundreds of years, right? Like, what's what is that look like? Right. I got bad news for you. Jainism is going to die out until people rediscover it. That's because we're in this, the age we're in is getting worse and worse. And so, at some point, the whole entire world will forget about Jainism until the next, the first of the next set of twenty-four Tirthankars come, as the world starts getting better and better. So. My advice to you is not to worry about that. No, I, I wasn't really worried about that. Oh, I'm, okay. just saying, I'm just saying like art and how that kind of just correlates. The legacy to yeah. the next generation. Ah, so the purpose of art is to transmit information to the future. Right. Great. Yes. I love that. Yes. Because the best way, so far the best way we have determined <coughs> to transmit information in the future is not actually writing it down because we have many things that were written down that were lost. It's not going to be writing it on steel and burying it in the ground. It's not going to be that. The best way to get a piece of information from now until a thousand years from now is to turn it into a story. All of the stories we've had for thousands of years, we still have it. Unfortunately, it means it's a little bit corruptible because stories change as they get passed out. But we have found no better way to encode a piece of information for the future than to turn it into a story because our brains are hardwired for stories. Our brains are hardwired to love stories and to apply stories to our life. And you have no choice but to be compelled by stories. Uh, people uh, wonder why Dennis Rodman is the greatest basketball player in the world. And I'll tell you a story about Dennis Rodman that I told, I think, years ago, maybe. Every, you may think that, oh, I can resist stories. Uh, stories have no, com I am not compelled by stories. That's not true. Stories is one of the oldest meta-realities we have. And, uh, the way I know you can't resist stories is because people get paid millions of dollars to resist stories and they can't do it. Uh, because 
Dennis Rodman is the greatest rebounder that ever lived. Okay, and the reason he was such a great rebounder is because he had the ability to resist stories. That is, every basketball shot is a story. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has the end. And the most crucial part of the story is that the end is influenced by the beginning and the middle. And so whenever somebody takes a shot, if you freeze the frame, the 10 players on the court are all watching the ball. They're all watching the ball, which you can't do if you're going to be a rebounder. You got to fight for position while the ball is in the air. You got to box your guy out. You got to get in position. You can't watch the ball. You have to know where the ball will be. And so all the players are looking at the ball except Dennis Rodman. He's the only one not looking at the ball because he can resist stories. Okay? Because he's not compelled by the story of the basketball shot. And so when you wonder why, well, what's the deal with like his hair and his facial piercings and his tattoos and all that. That's part of his superpower, is resisting stories. What's the deal with him going to North Korea and saying, my best friend is Kim Jong-il while he was still alive? Well, he knows that people will think bad about him if he says that. He's representing the U.S. government on a mission, right? Handing over signed basketballs by the, you know, 96 Bulls or whatever to North Korea. He's not afraid to get his picture taken with an evil dictator because he can resist stories. He doesn't care what people think about him. We all care what people think about us. We care what the stories people say about us are. But his superpower is being able to resist stories and he got paid millions of dollars for that. And so that's very important is, yes, the longevity is important to art and is the best way we can transmit information down to the future. Other questions? Okay, next we talk about gamifying Jainism. We talked about life is not a game, but it has the qualities of a game. That is, life has rules that we call norms or laws. Like a game has a piece, you move around the board. We have a body that we move around life. Life has a scoring system. Some people think the scoring system is the number in their bank account that gets higher and lower. Some people think the scoring system is how happy they are. If you're happier, you must be doing better. And if you're not happier, you must be doing worse in life. Like a game has rolls of the dice, life seems to have elements of chance. You can do everything right that is in your control to do, and maybe a bad roll of the dice will make your life turn worse. A game has strategy, and certain strategies are more effective than others. It seems that certain strategies in life are more effective than others. You can refuse to participate in a game. You can also refuse to participate in life. You can knock other players off the board in a game. You can kill somebody in life. And just like games are a distraction from the true purpose in life, what you call your life is this distraction from the true purpose of your soul. We talked about there are a few ways that life seems to be not like a game. Most games are balanced, but life does not seem to be balanced or fair. Life seems to be unfair. And usually games have a win condition, and it seems that life doesn't have a win condition. But now when we talk about Jainism through that filter of how life's or li life is like a game, 
we can talk about, well, what's the wind condition of Jainism? Is there a wind condition? Yes, moksha. So you thought that there was no wind condition in life, but it turns out there is. What are the rules of Jainism? What are the rules of life? The five vows are not the rules, they're the strategy to help you play by the rules. What are the rules? Because when you say, oh, I won't be violent, I won't be, I won't lie, I won't steal, that's a strategy of life. So what, what are the rules of life? The codes of conduct, also a strategy. That is, you should do this and you should not do this. That's a strategy by which we get through life. So if the goal is moksha, then what are the rules by which we get to moksha? How do we get to moksha? We get rid of our karma, right? So the rules of life are karma theory, right? And those strategies that you guys talked about is all about how to get rid of karma, stop karma from binding to your soul, things like that. Is life fair? We said that life was not fair, but is life fair? Yes, life is fair because karma makes it fair. And so everything that happens to you is fair. Everything that happens to other people is fair. It may not seem that because you're looking at a tiny portion you call this lifetime, right? But on balance, life is extremely fair. We talked about how game developers use tricks to hack into your brain. They know your brain better than you do. And they use tricks to keep you playing the game. And we should use those same tricks to keep us on the spiritual path. Game developers know about defining goals and establishing a number of points for each goal, attaching small missions to larger goals, set up a to-do list with various challenges, track and record your progress, set up checkpoints to measure your progress, save your progress, and reward yourself. Game developers know all that. That's how to keep you engaged with the game. And so if we can take those lessons, we can keep engaged with life and keep on the spiritual path. How do game developers do that? They do that with experience bars. Okay? If we had a bar for how much karma was attached to our soul, I guarantee it would be so easy to go to Moksh. If we had a bar that said, oh, I have 10% more than you and you have 30% more than him, he's winning. You know. Guess what? I'm going to be really motivated to get my experience bar down, right? Uh, multiple long and short-term goals, we have to do that in our own life. Uh, if you have a quest log in a game, it's the main quest and the side quests. Um, there's long and short-term goals. Rewards for efforts. There's no effort that goes unrewarded in a game. You always see the reward, and it's very important for developers to show you that reward, that you're getting rewarded for doing the right thing. If I meditate for three times a day, well, hopefully I'll get, I'll see the reward, but nobody's gonna show me the reward. I have to find the reward myself, right? If I open the book on Wednesday night when I should have been doing something else, well, I should have been opening the book when I would normally be doing something else. Is there a reward associated with that? Or is it some kind of amorphous concept, right? We have to give ourselves reward. 
Frequent and rapid, clear feedback. Games love doing this to you. It will tell you when you're doing something wrong. Guess what? You might know not know you're playing life wrong until the next life or even the next life. And that's why people don't seem to see that it's wrong. Why is it wrong that I do these things that go against Jainism? What will I do? You know, am I going to hell? I don't see that. I don't believe that, right? Questions about that? Get it with that list. <laughs> okay, so next <clears throat> we did goal setting, and this class is more paperwork than you'll ever imagine. We just, just increasing the amount of paperwork we're doing in this class. Next, we talked about goals and our SMART goals, specific, measurable, achievable, resourced, and time-bound. And we wrote down goals, our personal goals, professional goals, spiritual goals, physical goals, mental goals, and family goals. So once again, if you like things in black and white, here they are, okay? They're here for you when you need them. Oh, that's my saying at the game. There's two, two. We're going over. Distraction. Distraction Next, we talk about creating a soul owner's manual. Okay, so just like we have a car manual, right? You know, nobody taught, taught us about spiritual hygiene. Nobody told us, gave us an owner's manual for our soul, right? And we thought about developing one, an owner's manual for our soul. And here's the very first, most important part, okay? The soul exists and you are a soul. If you don't take away anything from what we talked about today, tell me what is the evidence that the soul exists? There are three pieces of evidence you need to know that the soul exists. Does anybody know what they are? The soul exists because the hard problem of consciousness exists. What is the hard problem of consciousness? The hard problem of consciousness is how can matter, how can the matter of the brain make what we call a mind? The mind is the mind separate from the brain? Okay. The hard problem of consciousness is how does this arrangement of atoms give rise to experience, what we call qualia or subjectivity? How does an arrangement of atoms give rise to experience? This is the hard problem of consciousness. There is no answer. Okay? The answer, there is no answer that scientists have figured out. And that's why you know the soul exists, because the answer is the soul. Without the soul, the brain in the same arrangement of atoms would not give rise to experience. Okay? This, was, this was one of those that we had to accept, right? I'm telling you, you don't have to accept it. I'm giving you three pieces of evidence okay. that the soul exists. But yes, this is, one of the, this is one of the fundamental premises of Jainism that Jainism is asking you to take on faith. But I'm telling you there are three reasons why you shouldn't and that there are three reasons the soul exists. 
the second one is awareness is different from thoughts. You can prove this to yourself by meditating just for like two sessions of meditation. Okay. This is the first realiz realization that you have is that awareness is different from thoughts. There is a part of you that is aware and there's a part of you that thinks and you can the part of you that is aware can choose not to shine that awareness on certain thoughts fed to your consciousness by your brain. Okay. And that awareness is your soul. Okay. And that's why you know the soul exists because the thing that is aware is given rise to by your soul. And the things that are the thoughts are provided by the brain and your soul is not your brain. Your brain is part of your body. The third piece of evidence we have that the soul exists is because meditators experience bliss and they tap into what Jainism has said, what one of the characteristics of the soul is. The characteristics of the soul are infinite bliss, infinite peace, infinite energy, and meditators have tapped into this bliss that was predicted by Jainism and they know it's there. That is a piece of evidence that the soul exists. So you need to understand that the soul, you are a soul. Well, you need to understand that the soul exists. And the second part is you need to understand, you need to believe you are a soul. And if you don't do anything of learning about Jainism, if you don't pick up the book, if you don't listen to these things, if you don't pay attention outside of this classroom, if you don't even think about this class outside of the classroom, the number one thing you can do to improve the quality of your life, if you don't even believe in Jainism, the number one thing you can do to improve the quality of your life is to believe you are a soul. <clears throat> that will unfold everything. That that will make you read the book. That will make you want to read the book because there's only truth in the book. That will make you want to think about the things that are in the book and apply them to your life. That is the one flame that you need to light to change your life. You don't need to know about the 35 codes of conduct or the five samitis or the five vows or anything like that. If you want to do just one thing is believe your soul and your entire life will change for the better. Questions or comments about that? That's a very important topic. I know I say everything is important, but that's actually the most important. I said Lesha was important, and I said art was important, and I said spiritual hygiene was important, but that's of lesser importance. That's the number one important thing you need to understand. Does anybody have any other kind of evidence? I would love to add a number four. Is there some kind of number four that the soul exists? Does anybody disagree with the evidence that I presented? I've got an open mind. I'm willing to hear arguments. If you disagree with the evidence that I presented that the soul exists, I have an open mind. I do believe soul exists, but you broke it down. But let me ask you this question. Uh, knowing like now you know soul exists right how has that changed or how have you reflected or adopted it a number of ways so believing that the soul exists has changed my life and it's changed my life for the better i am not concerned about anything that's not in the book i don't care about I don't care about television. I don't really care about books or fiction. I don't really care about any of that. And that's made my life better because I'm not as distracted. 
I see my children as souls because I know that their soul exists within them. And that has increased for the better. That has positively benefited my interactions with my children. Uh, because I know I'm a soul, I treat other people better because I know that they're souls. Because I know I'm a soul, I have changed my life because now I'm worried about different things. I'm worried about more important things. I'm worried about the karma that is attracted to my soul. I'm not worried about whether I look bad for doing certain things. I'm not worried about whether I uh, do uh, different things or not different things. I'm worried just about the what I do that attracts karma to my soul. You see how it touches everything. It touches right. all part of my life right. once I started believing I'm a soul. That's why it's the most important thing. If you believe your soul, it will touch every part of your life. From your interactions with people, to your relationship with money, to your relationship with work, to your relationship with media you consume, to your relationship with art, to your relationship with other people, it will change everything about your whole life. Because what I'm thinking now is, which I also believe is, if you believe in soul, you believe in karma theory. Sure. Right? That, that is how I've convinced myself is, you know. Right. I don't know if there's soul or not, but I, I mean, I'm saying that, but I do believe in soul, but I do believe in karma theory. Right. You know, there is a reason why things happen without even explanation. Right. Right? It's beyond uh, my uh, comprehension is why mm -hmm. certain thing happens to me, good or bad. Uh, yeah, it's all karma. Right. So... You should strengthen your belief in karma theory and see how that applies to your soul and see if you can make those connections to transfer that belief in karma theory to a belief in the soul and that you are a soul. Other questions or comments? Is it fair to say souls live forever or they are around forever? Yes. Souls uh, cannot be destroyed. You will either spend the rest of your... You will either spend forever in the cycle of birth and death or you will achieve moksha. These are your only two options. And one is eternal suffering and one is eternal peace. So I know which one I'm choosing. Next we talked about Jainism and money. We talked about the characteristics of money, our medium of exchange, store of value, and unit of account, and how money is the oldest meta-reality. We talked about stories being a meta-reality. Money is one of the oldest meta-realities, and it was what I will tell you if you say you don't believe in meta-realities. Meta-realities are stories made real by our belief in it. So we believe in money, that makes money real. And so if you say, I don't believe in any meta-realities, I just believe in the real reality. Well, it's not true because you have some money in your pocket right now. If you didn't believe in meta-realities, you'd have no money in your pocket right now. <laughs> and money is one of the oldest meta-realities we have. So we went through the history of money. I don't know if you guys were here. It's very long. I think we, got, we spent 40 minutes till we got to the point. We talked about the tally stick the clay tokens, the shekel. Then we went into bronze money. Uh, after bronze money came gold and silver money. Then Charlemagne invented the silver penny. Uh, we talked about paper money. Okay, so then paper money was introduced in China. 
We talked about the goldsmiths of London and how they traded uh, gold paper that you could um, trade for gold based uh, if you went to their brick and mortar shop. Um, then, of course, money became credit. And finally, uh, next to last, we have digital money. That is, money was a figure in your bank account. And now money is crypto. And at each point along the way, uh, people resisted the change to change of money. They were skeptical about it at first, and then you adopt it just like you. People will adopt crypto just like they adopt the credit card. You adopted the credit card in your pocket right now. What I'm saying is, when credit first came out, people didn't believe it was money. Well, guess what? When paper money first came out, people didn't believe that was money either. Right? So. If Crypto, people don't believe it's money. Well, guess what? Your kids are going to believe it's money, and that's all that really matters. <laughs> but we, but the point is, we, the reason that we learned about the history of money is because I want you to break yourself from the grip that money holds on you. And one way to do that is to learn about the history of money. Be like, oh, yeah, money wasn't always paper. Money wasn't always metal. Money used to be sticks. Okay, So if you remember that, you will be, it'll be easier for you to break free of the hold that money has on your life, okay? The truth about money is that money makes you a slave. The truth about money is that money is your enemy. And the truth about money is that most people want to live in a world without money, but they don't know how to do that because it's one of the oldest meta-realities we have. And I can say, I reject money. But unless I convince a majority of the entire world to reject money, I am still subject to money because you force that reality on me. Okay, so of course we talked about non-possessiveness, non-attachment. Of course we talked about greed, we talked about charity, we talked about how to get rid of greed from our life. And we talked about, we didn't have time because I spent so much time on that, we didn't have time to talk about how we're going to apply it to your life. So I'd like to talk about that now. Now that you know that money is your enemy and you're a slave to money and money is an illusion and all of that, uh, how do we take that out of this classroom and into your life to make your life better? Just non-materialistic, non-possessiveness. Right. Just right. take care of your basic needs. Right. You got to not treat as sacred the number in your bank account. Money comes and money goes. You got to be happy independent of that. You got to live your life independent of that. Sure, it constrains your life. Constrains which house you buy. Constrains what type of food you get. Constrains what type of present you buy your kids at Christmas. But you can't let that make you happy. You can't let that make you sad. You can have compassion without attachment. You can live your life using money because you have to use money, but not be emotionally attached to money. Yeah, okay, I make this amount, that means I can afford this house. Doesn't mean you have to be sad about it. Doesn't mean you have to be happy about it. Sure, I make this amount, I can give this as a present to my kid on the holidays. It doesn't mean you have to be happy about it. It doesn't mean you have to be sad about it. You don't have to be emotionally attached to the constraints <coughs> that the money puts on your life. And guess what, you'll be happier. Because most of the times we're sad about things. We're not happy about things. So the quality of your life will increase when you get rid of the emotion part of the money part. And it's just money. It's just transaction. It's easy to say it's just money. It's hard to believe it's just money. 
Because if a rich person tells you it's just money, you say, what the heck? You're rich. And if a poor person tells you it's just money, you say, what the heck? You've never had any money in your life. So I'm telling you it's just money. And to let it go. And the last class we had the week before this one was the how to let things go. We talked about a number of ways to let things go in your life. <coughs> number one, you express your pain, you write it down. Number two, you figure out what rumination is and how to stop rumination. You accept thing number three, you accept things as the, uh, they are. You don't take responsibility for the things out of your control. Number four, you don't blame other people and you realize how easy it is to be a victim in your own life. Number five, you learn how to forgive people and you especially learn how to forgive yourself. Number six, you focus on finding joy in the present moment. That helps you let things go. Number seven is you learn a lesson from whatever you were ruminating about and you move on having learned the lesson. Number eight is you be part of something larger than yourself. Guess what? All of you are part of something larger than yourself. You're part of dad's class. Number nine is exercise, mindfulness, and meditation. I don't know how many times I tell you about that. Number 10 is you embrace the things you can't change. I guess that's the same thing as number six. Uh, or no, number three. Number 11 is you use humor. You can use humor to let things go. It's easy if you can laugh about things to let them go. Number 12 is you set boundaries in your life so you don't have things to let go of in the first place. That's a preventative measure. And number 13 is, of course, you see a doctor if you have trouble letting things go. You see a professional about it. Okay, so questions or comments about anything we talked about. I'm always amazed. This is what they mean when people say that, oh, change is very hard to see in the short term, but easy to see in the long term. Like, how can a series of little steps get you anywhere, right? But this is it. I'm always amazed by how much we cover and because I'm just focused on each week, right? This semester, we covered lesha and precluded thoughts. We resolved the dichotomies of Jainism. We talked about spiritual hygiene. We talked about Jain art. We talked about how Jainism can help you with small problems in your life, how to use game techniques to increase the quality of your life. We did our goal setting this year for a couple months. We made a soul owner's manual. We talked about the evidence that the soul existed. We talked about money and how to let, how to decrease the hold that money has on our life. And we talked about how to let things go. That's quite a bit. Okay. It's quite a bit that we talked about this semester, but it just seems when you just concentrate on each week, it's a series of small steps that gets you to a very long, uh, get you over a very long distance. Questions or comments about anything we talked about? Okay, so I'm a little afraid that people are starting to think that we took their money and ran. So can we get an art project update? I think we're pushing into the new year. Is yeah, that right? So um, I, I did get a quote and I shared the details and the pictures on the WhatsApp group in the morning. Um, so it is going to, if you want to make a 10 by 5 painting uh, on a cotton uh, uh, cloth, then it's going to cost around $450 uh, and it can be shipped from India. So I have shared some samples from the artist who has done that. So we can then see in the... It's a paint or print? Paint. And so it will take uh, about a month's time. Two artists will get involved in getting this done. 
so one will do the background paint and the other will do the faces or basically on top of it. Uh, that's what I'm told. And, uh, that's great. What I'm concerned about is, uh, do we know that they're reputable? Like, have somebody else used them? Or, or do we have some kind of sure, surety that they won't take our money and run? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so Perfect. so I'm dealing with them. I'm not directly dealing with them. Uh, I have my brother-in-law in Udaipur. So oh, great. He's the one who's talking to them and getting the quotes and everything. So... That is that is not an issue, meaning uh, we don't have to pay even a penny until the work is done. Okay. That that part, I, I think, uh, should be okay. Oh, great. Perfect. What do you need from us? So, uh, all, all I need is, I think, whoever is part of that art group, or I can put it in the dance class also. Uh, everybody can see and see the work quality that uh, is at least what we can see on the picture. I need whether we are okay to go ahead with this uh, because there will be other costs like transportation I think should be okay because it will be rolled and we'll get it in a tube. tube. How, long, uh, how long will it take to get? At least uh, a month to one and a half months is what I'm told. Okay. So I'm, I, I tried to, uh, so initially I got like he said 45 days, I said I want it in a month's time. He said. We can try, but we know usually it takes a little longer. So, yeah, the other cost would be to get it framed. And I don't know, I've not checked no. the cost for the frame here in because that is something which we have to do locally. Uh, I know Hobby Lobby does that big custom frames or we can look at uh, Amazon, but I, I wouldn't trust. Again, we have to see the reviews and try to get a ballpark. We can work with them to disassemble and then send that in the shipping package. We we, we, we can check that. We can stretch it. We'll stretch it. Okay. We'll stretch it and we'll get it framed. We'll need a border, an extra whatever on the side of it. Mm -hmm. So it allows us to stretch over the foot. Can they do it like two to four inch around it extra? Yeah, I I think that should be okay. I haven't spoken again but uh, this is the update that I got last night so I have to talk to my brother-in-law but I think that should be okay right? we should go measure yeah, and make sure that fits there the yeah all five feet is one yeah five feet. yeah the work looks great the pictures that you're showing yeah it oh, looks really nice. awesome so you guys uh, oil paint or is uh, acrylic or I, I can check because oil will take uh, more than a month to dry after, I can check. after paint so one thing I want to mention is that don't wait for a big group to tell you that the quality is okay. Just do we the agree. procurement yeah, committee because that's what yeah. the procurement committee is yeah. for. You're not going to get any answer. You're not going to get any movement on a big group saying to review the quality of work. So yeah. don't wait for us to do that. Um, okay. Okay. I mean, work looks really good. So Yeah, the uh, other one, the painting. Uh, the last two ones. Yeah. 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 Very nice. I, I liked it too. So. I apologize, I do have to go. But no, no problem. Comment. First of all, thank you yes, again. Uh, does anyone need any books or the 401 book? Please let me know. Uh, Anybody needs a dad's class book? I can give it to you all today. Okay, thank you so much thank for coming today. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks, thank you, David. Thank you for everything that you do. This is amazing how much we cover. Right. If you just focus on a week at a time, it's just like, okay, just the next week. But when you review it, it's.